0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Joshua said to all the people, Joshua 24:2, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. It may well be that when Abraham or Abram was in Ur of the Chaldees, he was an idolater. How many of us could say we were called out of idolatry into faith in the living God? Every hand should go up because you were all called out of idolatry. And even if you didn't believe anything, then you were your own God, which is kind of the ultimate form of idolatry, wouldn't you say? Dr. Martin, my hero, said more people that you can, than you can shake a stick at, shave their God every morning. And not to leave the ladies out, curl her hair. You know what I'm saying? We're all called out of idolatry into the living God. And it appears that Abram's family minimally, minimally and probably him himself were idolaters. Now, they've dug up all kinds of stuff from the Ur of the Chaldees, clay uh, uh, writings and stuff, and they've discovered it was a very sophisticated place in Mesopotamia, sophisticated educationally, uh, sophisticated in terms of business and everything, and religion, and they have discovered that there was a three-level ziggurat. On the top level, there was worship to the moon god. Apparently, Abram was involved in worship to a moon god or goddess. And he was called out of that and called to the living God. And many of us can relate to that right there. God may be saying to somebody this morning, I want you to get settled in a Christian church. You may not have come from that background, but I'm calling you out of what you used to know into a relationship with the living God. That was Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He didn't start off knowing the true God. His family didn't start off knowing the true God. But Abraham... Left, He responded to the call and he followed God. And he said to him, verse 3, Acts 7, depart from your own country, from your relatives, and come into the land that I will show you. So he was called to depart and to follow God and follow him by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Have you noticed that God has a way of just Giving you just what you need at the right time. I think the promise that God gives us is that every stage of the pilgrimage that we pilgrim on this Earth, He will guide you, but He will ask you to trust Him. We would all like all the information laid out right now. We all, some of us as Americans, we love bullet point lists. I could just check that off, I check that off, I check that off. And I know what's ahead. That's not how it works with God. He gives you just enough information. They're coming up to the Jordan River and God says, okay, I'm going to part the river. Just one qualification. I want you to step in and then I'll part it. Oh, Lord, no, no. I like to just stick my little toe in the water. As we get older, we get wimpy that way, you know. I said, Oh, it's not 85. I don't know if I want to go swim, right? So the priest had to be thinking. They had the ark and everything. Wasn't I up here? <laughs> Isn't it your turn? Step into the Jordan and then I'll part it. The Jordan was at flood stage That meant it was a step literally over your head. If he doesn't part it, you're going down with the ark. Now do you trust God? I don't know. I like just to kind of put my toe in, right? We're much more, it feels much better that way. But God says, no, step and I'll part it. That's faith. And so Abraham obeyed God and he left, but he did take a family member. Uh, One in particular I'm thinking of is a man named Lot. And all of us have had our lot in life. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, Lot became kind of a pain for Abraham, right? Uh, first, the, their, their people started fighting and they had to separate and then Abraham had to go save Lot. He was taken captive in Genesis, um, I think it's 14 or 15, and he had to go rescue him and get into a battle because of Lot. And then Lot eventually settled in a place called Sodom and that ended very poorly ended poorly for Lot's wife, and then Lot left there, and he went up on a mountain. He was in a cave with his daughters, and then his daughters convinced him, well, after he, they got him drunk, then his daughters were with him sexually. It was not a pretty thing. And yet, in Second Peter, we're told that Lot was a righteous man, and his righteous soul was vexed every day at the unprincipled behavior that he saw in the land of Sodom. And so there you have Lot. And Lot was rescued by the Lord. And so out he goes, out goes Abraham. And he's to come into this land that God will show him. And so he begins this sojourn. He departed, verse 4, from the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And from there, after his father died, God removed him into this country in which you are now living. The response of faith is always readiness. Oswald Chambers said, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. The Lord, uh, Thou art Lord God, Nehemiah 9, 7, who chose Abram and brought him from the Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. God chose Abraham, but Abraham had to still respond in faith. Hebrews 11, verse 8 says, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. God said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you all these descendants. And the one thing that we know about Sarai, uh, Abram's wife, is that she couldn't have children. Abraham was walking on a promise, folks. You're going to have all these descendants. And Abraham said, but, but I have no son. I, my wife can't even give birth to a child. And God waited until Abraham was 100 and his wife was 90 before Isaac came along. And some of you are saying, God, hurry up with the promises already. Try waiting until you're 100 and 90 to have a child. Wow. Can you imagine that? Say, Lord, you're going to need some super vitamins to help us in this situation. <laughs> right? But God is a miracle working God and Abraham walked by faith and a faith that is not tested will never be perfected. I know we don't like to hear that, but it's true. God tests faith and later God would even test Abraham on uh, Mount Moriah regarding his own child. And so God spoke to this effect. Remember, Stephen is now preaching this before the Supreme Court of his day, that his offspring would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. That's from Genesis 15:13. God predicted and said to Abraham that this massive amount of offspring would be enslaved in a foreign land. We know that that was realized in Egypt in the furnace of affliction. And whatever nation to which they shall be in bondage, God said, I myself will what? Will judge. Did God judge the nation of Egypt? Oh, yes, he did, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. He gave it to Abraham, eight. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day. That's what the Jews did. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. There's where you get the 12 tribes of Israel. I think one of Stephen's overarching points is before there was ever a holy place, before there was ever a holy people, there was Abram in a foreign land, and God called him in a foreign land. And God can call you from anywhere. God called Abraham from Mesopotamia. You don't have to be in a church to be called. You don't have to be sitting in a church to pray. God can speak to his people anywhere. And they were so big on the temple and so big on the land. And I think Stephen's saying to them, you know what, you guys have forgotten your own history. You've forgotten how this nation even started. And so now he moves to uh, Joseph, speaking of the patriarchs, nine. And the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. This is how God's plan would be realized. And yet God was with him. In the next six verses, or the, the next several verses, you're going to see Egypt mentioned uh, seven times, six times in seven verses, actually. And notice that they became jealous of Joseph. Now, Joseph would become a type of a deliverer for Israel, but the brothers got jealous of Joseph. Do you remember why? Well, Joseph had a pretty cool coat and they were a little jealous of that, but Joseph also had a dream. And in his dream, everybody was bowing down to Joseph. Now his dream was realized because when the family came to Egypt, they did indeed bow down because he was the second highest ruler in the land or even in the world. That's how God turned things around. But if you have a dream like that, you may not want to share it with your brothers. Hey, bros, I just want to tell you what I dreamt last night. All of you are going to bow down to me. I think your siblings might be a little upset at you if you shared that dream. And so they decided they wanted to kill him. One of the brothers talked him out of it, so he's thrown into a pit and he's sold into slavery, yet God was with him at every point. He rescued him, 10, from all his afflictions, granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, made him governor over Egypt and all his Household. Some parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, unjustly treated by his family. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was punished for sins he did not commit. Jesus, the sinless one, was punished for our sins. Joseph was cast into prison. Jesus descended into the prison of the earth, Ephesians 4.9. We talked about that Wednesday night. Joseph became a ruler in the prison. Jesus preached in Hades and led captivity captive. Joseph was miraculously freed from prison. Jesus rose again from the grave. Look at verse 11. Now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it and our fathers could not find food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there for the first time. And on the second visit, 13, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, a very moving moment at the end of Genesis. And Joseph's family was disclosed, disclosed to Pharaoh, 14. And Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. Now in Genesis forty-six twenty-seven, Exodus 1, 5, Deuteronomy ten twenty-two, it says that 70 people went down yet in genesis 46:27 in the septuagint the greek translation of the hebrew old testament it says 75 they're actually both right stephen would have used the septuagint because he was a greek jew and he would have used the number from the septuagint one number uh, does not include in my understanding the grandchildren of joseph and you could uh, reference the encyclopedia of bible difficulties there but they're both true And Jacob went down to Egypt 15 and there passed away, he and our fathers. And from there they were removed to Shechem and laid in a tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Here's a note from Joshua 24.32. Joshua 24.32 says that Jacob bought the plot at Shechem. It may be that Abraham made the original purchase he had passed through this site and built an altar there, uh, Genesis 12:6 and 7. By the way, the only land that they, he ended up owning was a burial plot, nothing else. It is likely that he purchased this ground originally on the site which he built the altar. Abraham did not settle there. Thus the site may have reverted back to the occupying people of Hamor. Jacob thus would have redeemed or repurchased it, or it is possible that Jacob purchased this in Abraham's name. And so the lot was purchased, 17. And now we move to Moses. But at the, as the time of the promise was approaching, 17, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, just what God said would happen, until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race, mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants. And they would not survive. Pharaoh's command was to throw the little baby boys in the river. And it was at this time that Moses was born. And he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been exposed, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Now you guys remember that even though Moses was brought into the house of Pharaoh's daughter, his nurse was actually his mother, And she nursed him for the first several years of his life and I'm sure she was whispering in his ear things about Yahweh and promises of God. And so Moses grew up in that household and he was lovely in the sight of God and I think Stephen's saying... I have nothing against Moses. Nothing could be further from the truth. I hold up Moses as the lawgiver, as the deliverer. The problem is our people really didn't obey Moses, as we'll see in a moment. 22. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Moses got the top education in the world. Who wrote the first five books of your Bible? Moses They have found discoveries recently that the original Hebrew was written more in picture symbols, the Hebrew picture language. And Moses was a very educated man. Who did God choose to write the first five books of the Bible? No dummy, folks. This man was very educated. God had prepared him for this very thing, even using Egypt, a type of the world, to prepare him. And God can use anything to prepare us. You know, you might be in secular employment and you wonder, You know, God, how can this benefit my Christian walk? It can. I learned a lot of things from a secular boss who was a non-Christian about how to order my life. You can learn things in different places that may surprise you. And so here's Moses, a powerful man, but when he was approaching the age of 40, this gives hope to all of us who are in that range, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him 24 and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Now think of what's going on here. Stephen is talking to the council, the religious leaders, and what is he driving home? Our people always do this. Deliverers come to our people, and what do we do? We reject the deliverers. And on the following day he appeared to them and as they were fighting together and he tried to reconcile them in peace saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? 27. But the one who was injuring his neighbor seems like that's the one that would say this, pushed him away and said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? You know, Jesus in his own words, Luke nineteen fourteen, 14, uh, mouthing the, what the people would say, they said, we will not have this man to reign over us let his blood be upon us and upon our children we don't want him reigning over us we don't want to lose our place we don't want to lose our nation and so the man went on to say did you mean to kill me as you killed the egyptian yesterday do you and at this remark moses fled 29 and he became an alien in the land of midian where he became the father of two sons and there moses became a shepherd And after 40 years had passed, now this gives hope for everybody. Another 40 years, man. God can work. It doesn't matter how old you are. 40 years had passed, an angel appeared. That's the angel of the Lord, according to Exodus 3, verse 2, to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of a burning thorn bush. And when Moses saw it, he began to marvel at the sight. And as he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham. And Isaac and Jacob and Moses shook with fear and it would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, take the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, Moses is in Midian, he's near Mount Sinai, he's near pagan ground. But wherever God is, that is holy ground. And Moses shook with fear when he was. Here, and, and God said, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their groans, and I've come down to deliver them. Sounds good, Lord. Come now. I will send you to Egypt. What? See, we always have these ideas, right? I have a wonderful ministry I'd like to recommend to the church. What is it? Well, it's thus and so. And then I usually respond, well, is God calling you to do that? If that's really on your heart, no, I'd like somebody else to do it. It's just an idea that I have, right? If you come with an idea, be prepared for a pastor to say to you, maybe God's calling you to do that. <sighs> that changes things. And Moses said, yeah, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I don't speak well. And God said, who made the mouth? I'll take care of it. Now, if you've ever had hesitation about a call in your life, join the club, okay? Moses had it. All the great leaders had it. And that may be what qualifies you the most to be used by God. Your own feeling of inadequacy might be the best thing in the world for you. Because you know what it'll do? It'll drive you to prayer. You'll do something like this. Right before you're going to be used by God, you'll do something like this. Help! What were you thinking? I'm not eloquent. I'm not the guy. You are the guy. You are the girl. Help. It'll drive you to prayer. And that was Moses. And his brother came alongside him. And there they went. They went to Egypt and they began to tell the people what God had said. This is the, the Moses 35. They disowned saying, who made you ruler and a judge? is the one whom God sent to be both ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel. The angel is Jesus who appeared to him in the thorn bush. Amazing. Now the council has to be sitting there at this point going, uh, excuse me, we've heard all this before, okay? We attended Saturday school. We know what's going on. Get to the point. But Joseph does have a point. He's going to refute every charge that they've made against him and going to show them their own stubbornness. This man led them out, performing 36 wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea, in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. That's Deuteronomy 18.15. You can also note Acts 3.22. And the prophet that Moses was referring to is Jesus. That's what Acts 3.22 says. Moses prophesied the coming of Jesus. Can you believe it? And God was going to raise up this prophet. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Look, brethren, I believe in the law. Some parallels between the church and Israel. Israel was fed with bread from heaven. The church tar- partakes of the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. Israel was delivered by the blood of the Passover lamb from death. The church is delivered by the blood of the crucified lamb. Israel came out of Egypt, which is a type of the world. The church is called out of the world into Christ. Israel went through the waters of the Red Sea. The church goes through the waters of baptism. There are all kinds of parallels. And their own stubbornness in the light of Moses' leadership parallels their own stubbornness right now. They refuse to have Jesus reign over them and they continue to reject him in the face of all kinds of evidence. Stephen's face may still be radiating that glory and they don't want to listen to him. They rejected Jesus, they rejected the prophets and they continue to be unwilling. He says, our fathers, 39, were unwilling to be obedient to him They refused to obey him, but repudiated him or rejected him in their hearts. And they turned back to Egypt and they said to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt. We don't know what's happened to him. That's Exodus 32, 1 and 23. Let's go back to Egypt. I'm sick of manna. You've read the accounts, right? There's only so many things you can do with it. I know it's sweet. I know that pancakes, but you can only have pancakes so many days in a row. We want steak. We want onions. Never mind that we were slaves. Never mind that the taskmasters were beating our backs. No, never mind that we were doing the mud dance. Isn't it funny how we always forget all the bad times of our past life? It's hard being a Christian. Lord, sometimes it's a struggle, and you feel a little pull back to Egypt. Where's the next caravan? I'm going to go back to Egypt. And you forget the taskmasters whip. You forget that you were doing the mud dance. You forget all that. The devil caused you to forget that. He said, remember the good times? <laughs> they were so great. Remember the next morning when you were before the, a god, one of those false gods, the porcelain god? Remember that? You're throwing your brains up. Great times. Yeah, yeah. well, wow. See, that's the way it works. And the, they wanted to go back to Egypt because they figured maybe they could have a steak dinner. And they forgot everything. This man, and Moses finally said, Lord, why did you choose me for this job? You ever been there before? They're a bunch of whiners. God got him some help, got him some elders to help him out. And so Moses went up to the mountain to get the law and they made 41. They made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of what? Their hands. What do you think Stephen's underlying point is? Hey, guys, You always look at everything you build and everything you're doing and what you've added to the Sabbath and to the law, but you've lost your way. It's the work of your hands. It's not the work of God's hands. That's the underlying message. And so Moses came down, remember, with the law, and there was the noise of revelry in the camp, and they had broken every one of the Ten Commandments, and he threw the commandments down, broke the tablets, because they had broken every one of them. And Moses began to intercede for the people. God wanted to destroy them. And Moses becomes a type of Jesus Christ, an intercessor, even though they rejected him and went to other gods. If you would like to listen to this message again, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you've been blessed by this ministry, or if we can pray for you, let us know. You can get to know us better, find helpful resources, and give to this growing radio ministry at livingtruthcorona.org. Keep in mind that, you know, his face shines this way after he's dragged before the council. I mean, verse uh, 12 tells us that um, they dragged him away. They dragged him away and brought him before the council. So it sounds like it was a very violent scene. And of course, we're going to see in the next chapter that he's killed in a very violent way. And yet, he retains this glow, if you want to put it that way. Even in the midst of persecution and ultimate martyrdom, um, he shines for God. And so, I can't tell you all the reasons why people won't listen. I mean, biblically speaking, we know people suppress the truth, and they their hearts are hard, and they don't want to hear it, and the devil is involved in some way as well. But... Um, Stephen's example is an example of a man who seemed to have his eyes so fixed on heaven that it really didn't matter. So fixed on Jesus that it didn't really matter what men were doing to him. He stood firm. Yeah. And like you said, even in the face of martyrdom, uh, it probably was evident that this may be my last stand. I'm going to take this chance, an opportunity to witness to these people and remind them of our history of the scriptures. And that there was still hope for them as well. Yeah and I think that's what he's doing and and Oscar we know that in chapter 7 as we begin to just take a look at what Stephen preached in chapter 7 we can see that he did the history lesson he you know he started off and talked about the call of Abraham and then he talked about the Exodus and he talked about a lot of the history and it's not like, you know, if he's standing before the council, it would be like you and I giving a Bible study to seminary professors, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, There you go. You know, about maybe doctrine that, uh, you know, maybe someone who had written their doctorate on the gospel of John and we take them through chapter by chapter, the, the gospel of John, you know, they might be looking at us like, really, you're going to tell me what this says. So there may may have been some of that but Stephen's point was to show he's not subverting the temple he's not subverting the law he knows it very well mm-hmm. but then he has something to say about what they're actually doing with it and I think that is the heart of this sermon because you and I both know that you can you can have all the knowledge you know to pack whatever stadiums you want to talk about or barns you want to talk about you can have all this knowledge but Jesus said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Stephen's sermon is gonna go right to the heart of the matter.